0: Oh, <laughs> we, we can just go downstairs now if you'd like. <laughs> oh, that was wonderful. So we are, it's just, what a, what a great day. What a great day. Um, we are going to take just a couple minutes and look at that Easter story. And so we're going to go, that, that account from John that Jason read. And so I'm not going to read through it again. But uh, I'd love for you to grab that, one of those Bibles in front of you there, and we're going to kind of walk through, and I'll reference some verses so you can see it for yourself. But it's just, it's one of those incredible things, just to remind you, like, what we're about to read here, John was one of Jesus' disciples, and um, he was there. I mean, we'll see him in the story. He, he tells what, what where he was and what happened. And when he saw Jesus again, I mean, he was there, and he wrote this down for us, and I just still marvel that here we are, sitting here on a continent on the other side of an ocean. They probably didn't even know this continent existed. I don't know, maybe they did. But, but you know, I mean, here we are, 2,000, almost 2,000 years later, sitting here celebrating, reading these words that John wrote of that day, that Sunday morning, almost 2,000 years ago. It's just incredible um, that we get to do this and we get to see this and celebrate um, Jesus' resurrection so we can read this historical account of what happened. And so I'm just going to kind of paraphrase and go through it and just remind us of what happened that Sunday morning, um, 2000 years ago. And then we're going to go to another passage in the, in the Bible and look at, um, kind of what that means for us, why that's, why it's, why we're celebrating this morning. And, um, so yeah, so this, uh, John starts it out here, chapter 20, chapter 19 is Jesus He's he's arrested, he's crucified, and he's buried in a tomb. and And his disciples, the followers of Jesus, he'd been doing ministry for like three years, and they're kind of lost. They've been following. They they dedicated their life to him, and so they've been following him. And leading up to this, they're at the Passover in in Jerusalem, so biggest festival of the year. Everybody's there. Jesus rides in like a king, and then this this these things that happen that they just couldn't even compute <laughs> you know like what happened jesus wrote in like a king and then he was arrested and wrongly accused and it was just kind of a whirlwind they're scattered they're afraid of the jewish leaders they're afraid of the romans and and then he's crucified and buried and it was just like what happened you know like and you can just feel the sense of loss and discouragement and and even though jesus had told them one of the incredible things about this morning is that Jesus Jesus told them beforehand, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be killed, and I will come alive again on the third day. And uh, that's the whole reason there was a stone in front of the tomb, because even the, the Jews, Jewish leaders that didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah had heard that, and so they had gone to Pilate and said, can you seal it with a giant stone so that the body can't get stolen? And so this is public, but even they still didn't seem to get it. And so we start off here with... Mary and and she uh, and she goes to the tomb. I think probably just to grieve, you know, like she's just lost. And um, anybody ever go to a gravesite of a loved one just to take time and to mourn? And that's what it is. And so Mary goes, and she's expecting to find this stone in front of the in front of the grave again. So she shows up, and she can see probably from a distance and the stones rolled away. And so she goes up, and she looks inside, and she can see the body's missing. And so Mary's like, you know, this is. What's going on now? You know, going to go to this grave site to mourn Jesus and the stone's away and the body's missing and so what does she do? So she goes back and she goes back to the disciples. That's verse 3. Goes back and finds the disciples who are in that same state, you know, trying to figure out what, what's life look like now? We dedicated our life to Jesus and he's gone, you know? And so she goes and finds them and Peter and John go run into the tomb. They want to see for themselves and uh, I love, remember, John's the one. This is his gospel is what we call them, if you ever heard that, it's, we call them the, there's four books in the New Testament that are the stories, the historical account of Jesus' life, and we call them gospels, and that word gospel just means good news. So anyways, John's good news writing hits this story, this account of Jesus' life. So John writing, I just love how he puts in there, he's like, yeah, I got there first. You see that, <laughs> you see that when Jason, wrote, he's like, I ran faster, and I, I like to run, so I particularly, that's a life first for me, I guess. Um, but but he's honest though too because he's like I, I wasn't brave enough to go in so Peter goes in and then John follows him and they see this they go in there and the and the grave clothes are folded up nice and neat on the on the where the body would lay and, and Jesus' body is gone and so they're kind of they're left as well like wow and, and I, John puts there in verse nine if you just quickly look at verse nine for until then they had they still hadn't understood that the scriptures understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. And so now John puts that right in there. He's like, I'm just letting you know, we, didn't, we still didn't quite get it. We were starting to get it. Like we knew Jesus had said that he was going to come alive again. He had told us that would, what's, what would happen. We're, this was kind of like, we're starting to put the pieces together. We, I mean, we didn't know. Was he given a parable? Did he mean like spiritually or something? Like what did he really mean by this? And now the body's gone. we are going, is this what he meant? Like did he literally mean? But he's not there yet. So the body's missing. Now what? So they, they leave. And uh kind of in this state. And and then John, I love how John does this at verse eleven, he switches and he and he shows this interaction between Mary and Jesus. And I think I said this last week too, but John in his uh in his gospel, what he wrote, this account of Jesus' life, he so often he'll zoom in on these personal interactions between someone someone and Jesus. And he does this all the time. And actually The table at the back. We have a bunch of stuff. Feel free to take any of it. And one of them is a a little gospel of John. So if you don't, if you never read that or want that, you can take that. Take one of those, and you can read the kind of the whole thing. But one of the things that's really neat in the gospel of John is that he uh, feel that way. You know, just kind of lost. Just the situations of life are hard. And if you read through John, Mary had a hard life, really hard life. And so you ever feel like, where's God in this? Where is he? A little bit lost? If you've ever felt that way, you can relate to Mary. That's what she's feeling in this moment. And then verse 14, it says she, she turns and she sees this man there, and she's so in grief. I'm picturing, you know, the tears are running, the makeup's running. I don't know if they had makeup back then. But, but whatever, you know, she's, she's crying, and she's not fainting, and she just has Jesus' figure, and her immediate reaction is like, did you take it? Did you take the body? Where'd you take it? I'll go get it. Like, what's going on? You know? And then this amazing thing, verse 16, this is where it gets personal. And, and Jesus says, Mary, and he calls her by name, you know? And I just love that because that's God's heart. You know, here we see in this resurrection story, which is so big, you know, this is what we're celebrating today, that Jesus rose again for all mankind to give us eternal life and yet here we have this little couple verses and John zooms in and he's like, here's this beautiful personal interaction where Jesus alive for all mankind and yet he has this beautiful personal interaction, Mary, and he calls her by name and it just, it got an exclamation mark because that's how it's written in the Greek, you know, it's that kind of, it's like, Mary, like Mary, I'm talking to you, it's me. And then she, teacher, Rabboni, that would have been a respectful name for him. It's like calling someone Papa, you know? It's like that endearing name, like Rabboni, teacher. And she just, it changes everything. She's so excited. You're alive. You're actually alive. And so that just changes her whole attitude. She goes from this lost and this distraught and confused and not knowing what's going on to this, he's calling my name, he's alive, I know him. And I just love that picture again. You know, if we have ever feel lost, that Jesus wants that personal relationship. You know, that, that what God did, it wasn't, he didn't just... Sometimes I think we think of God as kind of like, have anybody ever seen like a really intricate miniature train set or something? You know, like someone can do this incredible models, tiny miniature models, and they have a whole world they've, they've built. Sometimes I think of it like that, like God made, created this incredible creation, and then he kind of sits far off and just watches the world go on. But that's not it at all. You know, God, yeah, he's the creator, and we can, it's amazing what he's made, but he wants a personal relationship with each one. He didn't, he didn't just save us just for us to carry on in our miniature world, you know. He saved us to have a relationship with us personally. And so he, here, this changes everything for Mary. It's like, wow, he's alive again. And so Jesus tells her, go go tell the disciples, you know, I am actually alive. And, uh, and so that's changed everything for Mary, and she runs back and tells the disciples. And so then in verse 19, John switches back to his own experience. So Mary's had this incredible personal experience, but she's the only one so far. And then John, verse 19, you see John and Peter and the other disciples are in the upper, are in this room, and, uh, and they're just having a meal. And they're still, I mean, Peter and John have seen the empty tomb. They haven't seen Jesus yet. It says it's in the evening. It's been all day. And what does that mean? And Mary had already gone back and said, I saw him. And maybe they're still a little skeptical. Well, we know that Thomas is. Well, you see that in there, right? and they're a little skeptical, and, and then I love how John even says, he's like, by the way, the door was bolted, you know, it was shut and locked, and and then Jesus just appears in the room, and he appears in the room, and, and he says two things, really tries to con- convey two things to them, and the first one is that he really is alive, and that's the whole, like, like, look at the scars in my hands. You can see where they put the nails in my hands and my feet. You can see the, where they pierced my side with the spear. Like, it's me. And then some of the other gospel writers, they, they actually say, you know, Jesus eats with them. He's like, I, I'm not a ghost. This isn't some spiritual thing that's going, like, I'm physically resurrected just like I said I would. And, and that's the proof, and that's the first thing he wants them to know. And for us, as humans, even now, here, two, almost 2,000 years later, that's really step one. Step one is understanding, do you believe the facts of who Jesus is? That he's the son of God, that he came, God himself put on flesh as a little baby, you know, and grew up. And he lived the same human life that we live. You know, he breathed it. For me, I always try and make that connection. I go, like, when I'm outside and the sunshine's shine, and all week is supposed to be beautiful, I think... 2,000 years ago, Jesus felt that same sun on his face that I can feel right now, you know? He breathed the same air, you know? Like, that real, that's how real it was that he was his, historical, was here on this earth 2,000 years ago. And so, that was him, and we believe that he really did live on this earth, and he really did live a perfect, sinless life, the life that we couldn't, and he's left us an example to, to, to live by, Right? as an example for us, but then he also died, and then, and that we believe that his death actually did pay for our sin, and then that he rose again. Like, those are the facts of history that um, we, that kind of is the starting of a relationship with God. It starts with acknowledging who Jesus is, and so that's the first thing Jesus wanted to remind his disciples of. I told you this, and it's true. Here I am, just like I said I would be. And then the second thing that he tells them is that now you have a job to do. I want you to go out and tell others. That's the second thing Jesus conveys to them. He goes, I'm going to be sending you out to go and tell others this good news, this gospel, this. And what is that? It's those facts that I'm the son of God, came, died on a cross for your sin, rose again to give you eternal life. That message, you're going to be sent out. And and I love the Bible that that we have, we actually have another book in the Bible called The Acts of the Apostles. We often shorten it down to just Acts, but it's the full title is The Acts of the Apostles, and that is the historical recording of those first disciples, the ones that heard that command from Jesus, and they went out and they started to tell Jesus ascended back to heaven and they went out and they told people. And that's the whole reason we're here today. Like, literally, the only reason we're here today is because they obeyed that message. And they went out and they spread that. In chapter 15. And so I am going to have these ones on the screen. So you can, in chapter 15. And so I am going to have these ones on the screen. So you can follow along. Or you can, in your Bible, it's page 959. So if you want to look in there, 959, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So... Again, this is Bible's amazing because it's um, it's history. There's there's real people who really wrote it down about real places. And so, just to kind of give you some background, this is a letter that a guy named Paul wrote. So Paul was one of those people that got saved. He wasn't he was around when Jesus was there, but he wasn't a Christian. He wasn't a follower of Jesus until after, and he got saved in an incredible way, and uh, and then he went on to be a missionary and he kind of took this good news throughout the whole Roman Empire. And Corinth was a city in modern-day Turkey, so the other side of the Mediterranean Sea from, from Israel. And so he would go around and he'd start these churches, and then he'd carry on and he'd move on. And then when they had questions, and he loved these, he'd often be there for like a year or two, so he'd love these people in these cities, these relationships he'd built. And when he'd hear things going on, he'd write letters. They didn't have email. So they, he'd write letters, and uh, that's what we have. So what we're reading here is a letter to the people in Corinth called Corinthians, and it's the first of two letters, so it's First Corinthians. So anyway, so that gives you the background. So this is something Paul wrote, and I guess one of the questions they had, they were starting to doubt this resurrection. And so Paul is going to, to reinforce, and it, so this letter that he wrote, he wrote it about 12 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. So there's a bit of time, they weren't there, right? And there was, we know that there was lots of rumors and lies going around. We know that the Bible says that, that uh, the Jewish leaders started spreading a lie right away. As soon as the body was missing, they, they told the soldiers to lie and say the disciples stole it. And so we know that that lie was out there. So I don't know what had gotten to these Corinthian people way up on the other side of the Mediterranean Sea. But 12 years later, they'd become Christians, but they were doubting, did Jesus really, really rise from the dead? And so Paul's going to help them with that. And in that, he's going to give us why that's so important. And that's what we can take home for today. So Paul says this. He says, let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news. And uh, again, that word good news is the same as gospel. It's the same word. If you've ever heard gospel or good news, it's the same word. Some translations translate it good news like this one. Other one's gospel. The good news, and that's Jesus, the story of Jesus, the facts of Jesus. That's what that's referring to. The good news, the facts of Jesus, I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. These are believers. This is a church he's writing to. It is this good news that saves you, right? Because it's what we just talked about. It's that fact that you believe, John 3.16, right? That you believe in Jesus, that he actually is the son of God who died on the cross for your sins, rose again, giving you eternal life. That's what saves you. It's that good news about Jesus, that saves you if you continue to believe the message. And believe in the Bible isn't just intellectual assent, okay? It's it's a light. You're living out what you believe, right? So you believe that message, unless of course you believe something that was never true in the first place. So that's the, which one is it? Carries on. Verse three, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Remember, because Paul wasn't a uh, follower of Jesus when Jesus was here, he was saved after. So it was passed on to him. Jesus did meet him in a credible way. You can read about that. We'll talk to somebody after, we'll tell you where to find that. But, but uh, anyway, so it was passed on to him. He believed it, and then he went out as a missionary giving this message about Jesus. And here's what it is here's that good news. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. And he was seen by Peter and then by the 12. That's what we just read back in in John, right? Was that historical account. So Paul's referring back to like, this is what I've taught you previously. And then he carries on with this one. This is amazing. After that, he, Jesus, was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James. That's Jesus' brother, half-brother and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. But this 500 believers, this is, this is Paul's kind of proof. And uh, for those of us that have been here on a number of Sundays, we've been going through and looking at this mission God gave the church. And one of the things we looked at was Matthew 28. We called it the Great Commission, where Jesus gathered a whole bunch of his followers and gave them the task before he ascended to heaven. And a lot of scholars believe that that, that is the same event here, that when Jesus called, okay, everybody meet me on the mountain. I'm going to give you your, your great commission to go out and spread the good news to the whole world. That was when these 500 were all gathered together and saw Jesus. Anyway, so what's so incredible about this is that um, these 500, remember Paul's writing this 12 years later to, to a church that's kind of starting to doubt a little bit, right? And they're like, how can we know for sure that Jesus rose from the dead? And maybe you're asking that question. Right? And this is incredible, because paul 's going, "Look at, there was five hundred people, most are still who are still alive, and so if you want proof, you can go talk to them if you think i 'm lying, if you don 't like there 's this many people that saw him alive, you can go ask and go find them and talk to them and uh, and he wrote this letter in that time frame, so one of the criticisms i 've heard often that kind of trying to doubt the Bible or Jesus or who he was is it's like oh well it's really old you know it, it who knows what happened and they wrote it long the in the tale you know a tall tale changes over time well this disproves that it can't be a tall tale because you got people that are still alive that would be able to say whether it was true or not and the other one I've heard I don't know if you've ever heard this one sometimes there's there's criticism that well you know what maybe the disciples just kind of made it up or they hallucinated they were in such grief you know they just kind of made the whole thing up that Jesus rose again and stuff like that but 500 people all hallucinating or dreaming the same thing at the same time? That's impossible, right? Um, another one that, that uh, maybe you've heard before was uh, um, that that maybe they just made the whole thing up. So they got together, they conspired together, they made it up for the sake of power. And you can, maybe you look at the church in the medieval times and how powerful it was, and it's like, yeah, look at all, they're just power hungry. So they made up the whole thing about Jesus so they could get power over people if you ever heard that one but this again like 500 people for one to get 500 people all to believe the same lie the right way without anybody kind of finally giving up the the truth or something is pretty much impossible on its own but second to that is what we know is that at the beginning of Christianity there was no power becoming a christian at the beginning meant I mean, they were, the, the, right away, all the Jews were persecuting them. They, were, they had to flee from their homes in Jerusalem. That's why Christianity spread so quick is because they had to flee and find other places in the Roman Empire to live. And and then what we know is that persecution on Christians, it grew and grew and grew for about 25 years. And then anybody ever heard of Nero? And so then Nero, there was a big fire in Rome and he needed someone to blame and so he blamed the Christians. And extreme persecution. And so a lot of the people who were fed to the lions in the Colosseum were Christians. Um, There's history that says that Nero would take Christians, cover them in tar, and use them as human torches in his gardens. Extreme persecution, you know? And, And so that, for me, is just such great proof that, like, how can we know today that Christianity is true, that what we read is accurate in that? And that's that no one will ever die for what they know is a lie. Right? And there's lots of people who are willing to be martyred for their religion nowadays and lots of different religions, but that's because they believe that to be truth. But if this was all some big conspiracy among the disciples in these 500, then they would have known it's a lie. And no one's ever going to go to death for something that they know is a lie. They're going to tell the truth if it gets to that point, right? And so we know the only way to explain how Christianity even started, despite the persecution is that jesus actually did rise again it's the only explanation for history and it's pretty amazing that it's not just christian like you know like the bible these historical documents that we have and it's history these are historical documents most reliable ones um that they record Jesus' death and resurrection. But you can, there's Jewish scholars who talk about it. There's Romans. Now, they may not believe he rose from the dead, but they'll record that the Christians claim that. They record that. And again, the only way to explain it is that it's actually true. And so that's what Paul's going here. He's going, he's, he's given them that foundation to say, like, look it, we can know this is true. There's still 500 people alive. You can go ask. And for us today, here we are 2,000 years later, And all the evidence, all the history still says Jesus actually did rise from the dead. And so what does that then mean for us, the fact that he rose from the dead? We'll jump down to verse 14. And uh, you can read the in-between in the middle sometime this week if you'd like, but just this kind of summarizes it well. Verse 14 and if Christ, now Paul's going to kind of use here a bit of a, like, a counter-argument. He's going to go, let's think about what, if Jesus isn't, didn't rise from the dead, what does that mean, right? Is a way of kind of getting us to understand what it means that he did. He goes, well, if Christ had not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, your faith is useless, and we apostles would all be lying about God. For what we have said is that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And he's going to give like three different things here. So the first one he goes, he goes, first off, if you're, not, if you're going to start doubting the resurrection, you might as well doubt, oh, how can you believe anything that we've told you? Because that's essential, right? The resurrection is, we've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus himself said, I'm going to die and rise again, right? And so if you take away, start doubting the resurrection and say that didn't happen, how can you believe any of the story, right? It's essential in that way. And then he goes on, he says, and if there's no resurrection of the dead then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you're still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And so the second thing is, firstly, how would you ever be able to trust anything we've told you at all? You know, you kind of lose all your foundation. Secondly, if, you, if there's no res, if Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead, then you're still in your sins. So what he's saying is like, Jesus' death on the cross is what paid for our sins. That was the payment for what, what we did. That was satisfying the just justice of God, a holy God, right? And so that paid for it. But how do we know that Jesus' death paid for it? Well, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And, and right at the beginning of the Bible, where it talks about Adam and Eve and the first sin, right, and that first rebellion against God, what happened? They brought death into the world. And so what Jesus' resurrection proves is it's the thing that proves that Jesus' death on the cross actually did pay for sin because it shows that he could conquer sin, that he overcame sin and death and he was able to rise again. Right? That's why it's so essential is that it is the absolute proof that Jesus actually did pay for our sin and that he can give us eternal life. Right? He showed it. And that's what Paul's going to say in these next couple verses. Verse 19, And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who died. So he goes, okay, so not only does Christ's resurrection prove that he actually did pay for sin, conquer sin and death, right? Paid for sin, conquered death. It proves it. But on top of that, he's going like, at if that's all it did, and there was no eternal life that you get out of that, really, what do you get? You know, like, oh, thanks, I guess, you know? But then you still have to live in this broken world with all the pain and all of that that we have to endure until that day we just go back to being dust again. Like, if, if that's all there was, then really, you might as well just live it up, right? But he's saying, what? not only did he, it prove that he paid for sin and, and conquered death, but it also is the guarantee he's the first of the resurrection. He showed us that you can resurrect to life physically, a new body, right? And Jesus showed that, and that's why I love that. You know, he appeared in the room with the doors locked and stuff like that, and I'm going, can I will I be able to do that? That's pretty awesome. But, uh, but we get these new bodies that never break down, and Jesus was the first of that resurrection, and he showed it, and he proved it. And and I just think this is one of the things that makes Christianity so different. It sets it apart is that there's pretty much every religion, even I was a missionary kid, you know, you go into the jungles of Africa and they believe in some kind of afterlife, right? They all believe in some kind of afterlife, but you kind of just got to, how do they know? You kind of got to hope, you know, I guess I hope that it's true. I hope that's what it's going to be like, but no one's ever come back. So, but Christianity, someone did, (laughs) Jesus did. And he came back, and we have this proof, right? And then the, the disciples actually watched him ascend back to heaven. And, uh, and so we have this proof that, that, yes, there will be new life. And that's what he offers, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that's Jesus' sacrifice, that whoever believes in him, remember, it's not just intellectual, it's a life belief, you live it out, will not perish. There's that death that Jesus conquered, but have eternal life. Eternal life. And actually, so Paul's going to explain kind of exactly that. He said, so you see, just as death came into the world through a man, he's talking about Adam, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, Jesus. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, in other words, we're all part of the human race, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. That's eternal life. But there's an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. He's that example. He's that proof that we have, historical, can't deny it, proof. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. And that's the last piece of the puzzle. We look forward to that day that we know that Jesus is going to come back again, but this time with all the glory and power and majesty that he has riding on the clouds, right? And it's that point where he's going to make everything new. Where he's finally going to get rid of sin and death and conquer Satan for all time for eternity and give, make a new heaven and new earth and give us those new bodies, right? That's when that's going to happen. And so you think, why didn't what, what's what's he waiting for? He's waiting for us to do that mission, right? He wants as many people as possible to be part of that new kingdom, right? That's why he's waiting that's where we live right now that's why we're here as a church is we live in that time we're awaiting that day and what are we waiting for we're waiting to get as many people as we can to join us and so that's what we want to be about is to just have um a bunch of their the daily bread if you've ever heard of that um a number of different easter themed daily bread just like 10 of them feel free to take that home um and uh and read that, it'll give you even more, but we would love to talk to you and uh, explain more what it means to get to know Jesus, to have him call your name just like he did Mary. I'm going to close and then we're going to sing one more song and and, uh, and then we'll head downstairs. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful that you rose from the dead, that you gave us a picture showed us this resurrected life that we can look forward to we thank you for the sure hope that we have that no one can take away no matter what we go through in this life that uh because we have relationship with you that we can we know we get to be with you someday and on that day there'll be no more pain and no more sorrow no more struggle no more fear and, uh, and so, Lord, I just pray that if there's anyone here, Lord, that doesn't, doesn't know for sure that they're going to be part of that resurrection, Lord, would uh, they talk to somebody? Would, would you reveal yourself to them? Would you call their name, Lord, and meet them where they are? And bring them into relationship with you. Lord, for us as a church, would you make us a church that is inviting and loving people, pointing them to you, Jesus, that they might know you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for...